All right, this is a classic double header. I blab about writing and play a song, and then blab about more writing and play another song. <laughs> Drive-in double feature of uh, aspiring novelist rambling his semi-coherent thoughts into the dark. So let me set the scene, let me take you to <laughs> This fucking bench. I was sitting on this bench in the dark for like two fucking hours doing writing and shit. Didn't see a soul. And the second I turned on the recorder, a guy walked by. So let's head to that right now. Hello. Wow, that was unexpected. So uh, it's quarter past 11 at night and I'm just sitting on a bench in this park by my cousin's apartment. And yeah, I've been sitting here for ages <laughs> and it's, you know, it's the middle of the fucking night. It's all dark. Just as I pulled out this recorder, I saw a little light in the distance and a dude just walked by using like an iPad to light his way. <laughs> These woods really are pretty great just because they're so safe you know like like I've said before if I go across the highway as soon as the sun starts falling it gets really creepy because you know there's deer and uh, porcupines and theoretically bears I've never seen a bear but but these woods you can just chill and uh, I mean it's still creepy <laughs> you know it's still pitch black here and I'm just like it's like as long as you just don't just don't think about it. Don't start running those scenarios in your mind of like, uh, what if, what if a guy with a knife <laughs> came and attacked me, you know? But yeah, I mean, that's proof positive right there. I'm not the only weirdo in these woods at night. But yeah, this is this uh, perfect time of year where the mosquitoes are dead. It's a little chilly. I'm wearing a, an actual like coat, but it's not so cold that I can't sit here for two hours on this bench. And uh, I was thinking the next episode I was going to do was going to be kind of a catch-all, just a big random episode about a ton of different stuff I was thinking. But instead, I just want to do a littler episode, because uh, one thing I thought was kind of neat when I did this show daily for those first 50 days is the granularity of, especially I guess the first week I got into this a lot, of like, here's the specific conversation I'm working on, here is specifically where I'm stuck, and then the next day I'd be like, all right, here's where I am now. And I just thought I would do another little example of something like that. Because today, man, just uh, stuck, really feeling kind of stuck. But this isn't uncommon. This is kind of always how it goes. And I thought it would be just useful in general as writerly type advice shit. But, uh, but also just to kind of explain a little more why my writing goes so slowly. Like it's not just some kind of lack of motivation. It's not just being lazy. Like the way that I write and the stuff I want to write, it's like crazy slow, but why it has to be so slow. So in this chapter, I talked about it some last episode, but, uh, <laughs> See, that's something, too. I guess the willful ignorance of uh, when I'm sitting here with headphones in. 
I can't hear random branches breaking, but now I can. And it's like, you know, it's probably just a fucking... It might even just be like a squirrel. You would not believe how loud... Like, everything sounds bigger than it is, you know? <laughs> like, everything sounds twice as big as it really is. Anyway, uh, this chapter is... Uh, Sarat the Rhino Girl stuck... Mentally stuck, really, because now that she's hooked up with the Akamulon, she is able to leave the station, but she doesn't know where to go. The gigantic, infinite expanse of space, you can't just sail off in a random direction and hope you fucking hit something, because you won't. <laughs> You'll just sail until you die. You really gotta have somewhere to go, and she has no fucking idea where to go. Because, famously, her planet uh, blew up, so... So I've got a bunch of stuff laid out where at first it was she's in this room and she's just like, I just don't want to... She's like tucked down way down deep in the station and she's like, I'm just... I just don't want to see anyone today. I'm deep enough in that no one can come down here. It's very easy for the Akamulon to block people off in a non-suspicious way. No one's going to bother me. I can just stay down here. But then that's miserable because I'm just down here and just like, blah. What do I do? And then, like I was saying last episode, she kind of just mentally wrestles with the Akamulan a bit about ship manifests and escape pods. And I came up with this great creepy thing where uh, for her to flex her authority over the Akamulan, when she realizes how many escape pods there are, she realizes that there's an escape pod for everyone. And she infers from that that the Akamulan kind of has its own machinations toward maybe blowing up this station. Like, it wants to be ready. That, you know, its thought processes are different. Maybe it wasn't thinking about it in this same way, but it's like, it, it wanted to make sure that the, the Nadarian on the station would always be safe, no matter what happened. So maybe it's not directly confronting the notion of uh, destroying the station. Maybe it's not even able to think in a linear way like that. But it seems like it's ready for the eventuality, you know? It's suspiciously ready. So when she realizes that there's potentially an escape pod for every single person on board, she realizes that normally what would happen is, like, families would go together, right? Like, little baby Nadarian would go with their mothers or go with their parents, I guess. I don't actually... I never got into how these creatures procreate and stuff. I don't actually know what their family unit is. A lot of details that, you know, that's the nice thing about having a xenophobic, willfully ignorant main character, is I don't actually know these things, but I don't need to know, because my main character doesn't know either, <laughs> and never looked into it and never will. But she does see that there's family units around the station, and she knows that, you know, clearly in a catastrophe, especially a terrifying catastrophe like your fucking space station that you have lived on your whole life fucking blows up and you're stuck in an escape pod floating in space waiting for rescue you're gonna want to band together for comfort if nothing else and she decides no you know what fuck that fuck these soft little jellyfish people fuck all of that if something does happen in the case of an emergency evacuation put everybody in a different escape pod every dumb little kid every terrified parent, put them all separately. The Akamulan resists Surratt's command to put everybody in a separate escape pod, because it's like, you know, that's 
the the feelings it radiates are that is bizarre and unnecessary and unhelpful and uh, needlessly cruel. <laughs> Why would you do that? And because Surratt's just in a bad mood and having a bad day, and she doesn't flex her power over the Akamulon that often, but in this case, she's like, no, you know what, fuck you. And she just like drives a big mental wedge, just a big mental spike right into its little like programming, for lack of a better word, that says like, no, when the time comes, you're going to do this. This is how we're going to do it, fuck face. We're putting everybody in their own escape pod and don't fucking question me. <laughs> like just to be a total asshole, just to be a fucking dick. Because as, as sympathetic as I hope this character is, I still want to keep that alien notion. This is an alien creature. This is a rhino person. This is not a nice person. This person's philosophies are cruel and weird. So anyway, where I'm trying to get to in this chapter, like I've got the basic beats. So I've got all that escape hatch stuff and I came up with that weird, cruel moment she could have between her and the Akamulon. That on the one hand, they're kind of buddies and they're kind of on the same team, but but this chick is never gonna be fully on the same team as anyone because she's a fucked up rhino person. Just being in her orbit is gonna cause violent, weird shit to happen. So ultimately where I wanted to get to is that she finally watches this footage of her home planet exploding and just really just sitting there and soaking that in and being able to sit there and watch it is, in this case, emotional violence. Just wreaking emotional violence on herself that again, it just, it just shakes up the playing field of her mind. It just makes things different. It's like a I think there might be a term for this, I don't know, but I remember reading about kind of like the mental mutation people go through when they're under severe stress. Either if you're under continuous stress, either you can't take it and you fucking kill yourself, or your brain kind of reconfigures. You just reconceptualize how life's supposed to be and you reframe the parameters of what life is and you come out as a different person. The craziest example, I feel like I must have brought this up at some point. Oh man, I can't remember the guy's name. It was this guy who lost his entire family in concentration camps in World War II. Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And yeah, it was just about moving on after that and just like after something that terrible happens, you're still here and you're still alive and you got to carry forward. And he wrote this whole book about it, about you're just, your whole landscape of your mind is just different. It's just never going to be the same. But in a way, that's like an amazing thing about the human mind, the adaptability. Sometimes it's too much to bear, but sometimes your brain adapts. It mutates into a new form that can proceed under these new conditions. So that's what I think of with this, with her watching her homeworld explode, watching actual footage of this thing happening. And when I say explode, it's not like explode. I looked up what would happen if the core of a 
planet disappeared because that's actually what happened to our home world is the whole center of the planet got taken to a different dimension <laughs> and what was left just kind of collapses in on itself and crumbles apart. And for dramatic effect, fires will ravage the surface, which I mean, that could happen. But I got to get there, you know, I got to get to the point where she's just having a, a fucking weird, bad day, a strange in-between day, to actually getting her to the point of like, all right, let's do this now. So I got to get through these steps. So emotionally and mentally, these, this, these steps need to make sense to me. So I was thinking about one of those notes I mentioned last time, one of the outtake notes I didn't use, about music from her homeworld. And uh, she was going to upload music, re-record music from her homeworld and upload it into the systems of the station. And it was a whole idea I didn't use. But, but I thought I could still use something about music from her homeworld. So, so I was thinking she could think about, I've talked before about the bonfires that they used to have on her home planet and she could just be thinking about those and how much she misses them and these jellyfish people they don't do anything like that they have bad associations with fire <laughs> you know i imagine like uh again i don't know the actual details of how their breeding system works but i imagine like frog eggs in like a stagnant pond and like fire happening on the shore near the eggs, you know, they, they, bad times with fire. Just evolutionarily, they don't like fire. And on this space station, it would be extremely tough to set up some kind of bonfire thing and try to ventilate it, and just the whole thing would be weird. And it would just be depressing anyway. It wouldn't be this super fun, everyone hanging out, having a big, cool, fun, tribal time. It would just be sad. But I thought she could think about that and think about songs. I was thinking what could be cool because if you've ever been around a big bonfire it's amazing how much it swallows up sound you can be not that far away from the person on the other side but they probably can't really hear you you know you can talk to the people next to you but the people across from you probably can't properly hear what you're saying because the fire interrupts the sound so much so i was thinking what if they had like tribal songs and the songs were actually arranged with like a melody and a counter melody Again, I said, like I said last time, I don't actually understand music theory, but, but what if? What if they set up these songs so that it accounts for the interruption of sound through the fire? What if they had a kind of row, row, row your boat type of thing going on where I sing this and then you sing that, but the way the two things intertwine accounts for the pieces that will be missing because of the fire swallowing up the sound. And like just some kind of crazy song that nobody else has. Nobody else in the fucking galaxy has songs like they used to have. And just how fucked up it is that that shit's all gone, you know? It's like, how do you even recreate that? They were just passed on from generation to generation and it takes a whole group to sing them and it's like, fuck, dude, <laughs> like, no matter how much she might try to hold on to her old culture or try to spread it or try to keep some kind of record, if she even does, if she even cares. But there's stuff like that that you just can't. You can't have it back. Kind of a like a sort of more silly modern example, but it's like online video games. 
Like once an old online video game shuts down, you can never experience it again. You can go play Super Mario 1 and it's the same Super Mario that it was in 1985. But an online game, you can boot it up now and the servers will all be empty. You can never experience that again the way it used to be. It's over, it's gone. So I thought that's how she could get from just kind of vaguely nice, pleasant memories of like, oh yeah, I remember the big bonfires and how the songs around the bonfires and the impossibility of maintaining that stuff and of just that sudden realization of just how how gone this stuff really is, how much it is just gone. That could spiral her down into the right mindset to be like, fuck it, fuck it. I gotta, I gotta stop treading water in this nightmare scenario I'm in. I gotta, I gotta fuck my brain up. I gotta watch this explosion footage. I gotta mutate. I gotta mentally mutate. I can't fucking do this anymore. However, that's all good and I think that's gonna work, but I'm not there yet. I was just at her talking to the fucking Akamulon about escape pods. So it's just how do I get from escape pods to her thinking about the bonfires? Cause I can't just I can't just go from one to the other. One paragraph about this, next paragraph about that. It's too random, it's too disconnected. And the whole reason I'm going so super slow and the reason all my writing goes super slow is because I want each moment to connect in an emotionally logical way to the next moment. All of them, every fucking one, every single fucking one for the whole goddamn book. And there's just no way to do that in a fast way. It's just a slow process because it's all subjective, obviously, but I can only, I'll know when it feels right. I'll know when I feel that little spark that's like, oh yeah, okay, that seems good. I'd buy that, I'd be into that. Cause I just imagine if I'm reading it, I never wanna feel like the author skipped a step. Like the whole point of this story is not the action of the story. It's the mental processes of this character. It's the mental it's dealing in a mental and emotional capacity with this horrifying tragedy. How do you get from this place at the start of the story to this place at the end of the story? And it's not one step, it's a million fucking steps. And I need them all to connect to each other. I need them all to work. I need them all to make sense. And I can just imagine myself as a reader or I should say, I don't want to imagine myself as a reader hitting a point where I feel like the author didn't do the fucking homework, didn't do the due diligence. Even if it's just something small like this, this feels small. Uh, so she had one thought and then she got to the next thought. That's not a big deal. But it is a big deal over an entire novel. If you just keep doing that and it's like, why didn't this author put in the work? Why didn't they connect the dots? If that is the point of this story, then do it, man. Fucking do it. Every single time. Don't skip any of them. 
I need the emotional reality of this story to be as realistic as possible. I know it's not going to work for everyone, maybe even most people, but like the people who are on my wavelength, who are going to understand this process this character's going through, I don't want to let them down. I don't want them to feel like I skipped out on stuff. I need it to just... Because I, I guess it's like, you know, why do you want to be a writer? Why do you want to do these things? This is why. This is the only reason why. I want to build a little world, a little mental, emotional world that this character lives in. And when you read this story, when you're in this story, you're fucking in. I never want to let you out. I never want to give you even an opportunity to start going like, what? How'd this get to that? How'd that go to there? And even if it's just a little thing, you know, say I let this one go. Say I just was like, okay, let's just go from escape pods to thinking about the bonfire. It's not like that's the only time I was ever going to do that. If that's how I approached this, I would have done it a fucking hundred times by now. I would have skipped a hundred little things, and those hundred little things make all the fucking difference. That's what makes a book somebody's favorite, as opposed to just some book, you know? <laughs> but there's no way to do it quickly because you can't force these things. You just gotta wait until the thought hits you that feels right. And I do feel like a day, a 24-hour cycle is plenty to get from one dot to the next dot. I think that's a reasonable amount to push. That's a reasonable amount to expect of yourself. Like, I don't believe in page counts and word counts and fucking size-based goals of getting X amount of writing done. I just believe in getting to the next step. And I do think every day you can get, if not fully to the next step, then you can at least come up with some ideas. Uh, maybe this or a maybe that, so that tomorrow one of them will seem clearer. You can do something each day to get a little further. But that might be it. That might be all you can do for the day. Hence, it just takes forever. It just takes me forever to get through this stuff, but I wouldn't feel good about this process if I skipped steps, if I went too quickly, if I just skidded my way past things, because I'm not trying to get anywhere in a, in a weird way. I've got the ending. I hope it will be cathartic in a sense, but, but I, I need the whole thing to feel like that, you know? Like, when somebody gets to the ending, I want them to look back on where they've been, and I want it all to inform where we are now. Oh man, there's definitely something in the woods. Do you hear that? I'm gonna turn on the light on my phone and just flash it around a bit. Get the fuck out of here, animal, whatever you are. I'm a human. <laughs> See this? It's a light. The light of civilization. You get the fuck out of here. Gotta wrap this up and get out of here. This is getting creepy. See, now I'm starting to get creeped out. <laughs> getting weird. Getting weird. 
So anyway, the point of all of this is I had a weird day today. I uh, fell asleep a little afternoon. It's just supposed to be a little nap, but I woke up at like 6.30 and it's like, ah, fuck. It's only gonna be like an hour of sun. I gotta get the fuck outside, get going. Get some outdoorsness in my day or I'll just feel like shit. So I hiked down the hill, fucking got some stuff at a supermarket, dicked around in the woods, now it's all dark. By the time I got up here to this bench that I've been stopping at lately, it was like, you know, nine o'clock or so. And yeah, I sat here on this bench. I pulled up the story, the point I'm at at the story. And my brain's just got nothing. And it's like, all right, well, let's, okay, we got it open. It's right in front of us. That's good. <laughs> We're ready to go. Then I pulled up some YouTube videos that I had preloaded on my phone and I just fucking watched those until I got tired of focusing on them. Then I switched over to music and started reading a comic on my phone and just like, okay, reading that. I read quite a bit of that actually. And then got past a big chapter, big, big moment in the comic, a new uh, story arc starting. And I'm like, okay, that's, uh, I don't want to start a new story arc. So let's, uh, let's give that a rest. And yeah, it was like 11 o'clock, almost 11. Just been sitting here for almost two hours with nothing, but then just all of a sudden, bing, bang, boom, you know? It's just like I had my kind of subconscious in the background going, just, you know, grinding away. Because, yeah, I was watching YouTube videos and reading a comic, but I'm sitting on my little weird writing bench that I've been sitting on lately. This is where I always sit now and do some writing on the way home. I got the story open in front of me. My brain is very aware, like, all right, this is what we're doing. We're actually here to write. God, what is this fucking... Ah, I see it. I see you. Just saw something climbing up a tree. It's, yeah, it's just a squirrel or whatever. It just sounds so fucking loud. It's scaring the fuck out of me, you goddamn squirrel. <laughs> but yeah, it kind of revved up my subconscious. My subconscious was less subconscious. <laughs> it was, you know, closer to the forefront, but still just kind of whirring away in the background while I'm doing this other stuff. And yeah, it's getting to be, you know, late at night. It's like, I really should fucking go home at some goddamn point. But I gotta, gotta do something, gotta do something. Just gotta get that little step in the writing done today. And then what kind of just popped into my mind is basically this whole chapter, Surat the Rhino Girl, has just been laying on the floor. <laughs> just laying on the floor, just like, oh, oh, my day sucks. Fuck my life. What am I doing with myself today? So I thought, what do I do in cases like that? You know, if I'm just stuck at home, maybe it's rainy and I didn't sleep that well anyway. So I'm half asleep and I just can't really justify going outside and I'm just laying in bed and I'm just like, boh. It's like, I guess I could do some stretches. I could do some yoga stuff. And I've always had such a weird relationship with that stuff because I should do it more because I have scoliosis and I have an increasingly bad shoulder. And I have these stretches and exercises that I can do that sort of help stuff. But it's just, it's so annoying to do low impact sort of aerobic kind of or yoga type stretching. 
It's just not fun like it is to pick up a giant log and do a bunch of squats while you're holding it, you know? <laughs> that kind of explosive exercise is, is exciting and fun and feels good, but it tends to injure me because I don't have a well-balanced body. <laughs> it's better for me to do the low-impact stuff, but it's not exciting and it's not fun and it just feels fucking annoying to get started. But once I do it, yeah, it's like, all right, I'm getting some blood flow going and stuff. And yeah, it's not, I guess I do feel better. So I was thinking she could have that same notion, but way more so. Cause what she wants to do is just go pick a point on the horizon in her homeland, in her, her home planet and just walk and just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk to some weird place she's never been to, but she can't. So she does just start doing stretches and stuff and trying to limber up her mind and whatever. But she thinks about that. That's what doing the annoying low impact exercises gets her thinking about how she wishes she was back home and she wishes she was walking. And she wishes she could go on one of those walks that's so extreme, literally to places she's never been before, that it feels like she'll never get back. She'll never show up to her home fucking town ever again. Just an epic journey that she just can't do because she's stuck on this dumb space station and her whole planet is gone. But that's what got me thinking, like, if you're walking through, I mean, you can't just walk through the wilderness forever. It was a fully habitated planet. Eventually, you're probably gonna come across other settlements, right? Other towns, like I kind of have established, she kind of lived in the boondocks. She kind of lived out in the country, just kind of a small little village or whatever, maybe bigger than a village, but like a town. So what if you come across another town? What would that be like? Because they're these weird fucked up rhino people. If you just roll into town and you don't know anybody, it's probably awkward. It's probably uncomfortable. That's probably not that great. But then I realized I could tie that into the fucking bonfire thing because she could think like, yeah, except if you show up at night and they're having one of their big, fun, cool bonfire things, then it's no problem. Then you can just show up and everyone's partying and having fun and you just got instant friends and that's how you integrate into a new society. You just hang out with people at the bonfire and then the next morning, you know some people and now it's like, all right, yeah, you know, she's cool. She was at the fucking bonfire thing. And then she could think about the last time she was at one of those and think about the weird music stuff and then go down that spiral until she gets to watching the footage of the planet and it's like ah 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 it's such a good feeling because yeah just all day just I knew this was the these were the dots I needed to connect is that a bell chiming oh yeah it's midnight midnight on the dot apparently there's a fucking church with a bell around here somewhere that's fucking annoying I'm glad I can't hear that from my apartment no one needs to know that it's midnight you know, shouldn't the fucking, shouldn't the church bell stop around sundown? People are trying to sleep, fucking churchies. But yeah, it's just the same, the same thing that's happened over and over and over a million times for the past four years is I just got to get from one trapeze to the next. I got to jump from one stone in the stream to the next stone. I'm just falling and falling and falling and I gotta have faith that when I pull the cord, my fucking parachute's there, you know, just over and over. Like, it's, it's I think the main reason why most people don't 
do writing is because it's so uncomfortable to not have the answer. It's so weird to not know what the next step is. And there's no way to know. There's no way to figure it out. You've just got to just got to keep grinding. Just got to grind day after day after day and just trust that your subconscious will come up with something. And yeah, today it took all day of just vaguely thinking about it and having nothing. And then just sitting on this bench for like two fucking hours, just more actively trying to come up with something. But again, you just still can't focus directly because that doesn't work. That's not how creative thought works, you know? You got to come at it sideways. You got to let your lateral thinking come up with some shit. But then when it does, it's such a good feeling. And that's where it's like, okay, that this is going slow. It's okay that all I did today was come up with one little paragraph about doing some lame stretches and stuff and wishing that she was on a big hike and then hiking to another town and going to the bonfire. And it's like, now that I say it, this has actually been a great day. That's some, that's kind of complicated. You know, that's actually kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of things I threaded together there. <laughs> but the actual writing, it's one paragraph. It's just one fucking paragraph. It's fucking nothing. <laughs> but, but it got me. Like that's, it's such a good example of how I didn't want to just jump from escape pods to bonfires. I need to get there. I need the mental processes of this character to fucking flow and to make sense. And my goal, whether I succeed or not, we'll see, but my goal is for everything to feel this way, for every fucking thing, every single fucking part of this book, to me, is going to make sense. And then if whether or not the thought processes work for everyone else, that's, that's what we'll see. But that's what will make me feel fine about this book, no matter what happens to it. No matter whether it goes nowhere, whether no one likes it, whatever. For me to be proud that I did the best I could do, I need every moment to connect to every moment. And the only way for that to happen is to go fucking slow and to just grind it out day after day after day. Whew. All right, like I said, it's past midnight now. I gotta go home. The animals are probably pissed at me at this point. Like, human, get out of here. You don't belong here. <laughs> this is our time that we can have fun in the woods because you dicks aren't here. I'm breaking the social contract. For Song of the Day, let's play a Bjork song. How uh, my initial opening song that I would think of for the opening chapter of this book was the Bjork song, Hunter. But then I changed it to uh, A Drowning by How to Destroy Angels. But the other Bjork song from that same album, Homogenic, really good album. The song Bachelorette. This doesn't fit in specifically. If there ever was like a movie version of this story, I actually don't think this song would make the cut, but it was just such a good song in general for the, the ending parts of the book where things are starting to get crazy, stuff's starting to blow up, the ship's starting to come apart. Just because the, the tone of this song, Bachelorette, just sounds like destruction. <laughs> it just sounds like 
I mean, that whole album, she had all these really cool ideas about like the Icelandic landscape and how volcanic rock and the, the, but the beauty of it and all this stuff together kind of informed the instrumentation of that album. Man, like, there's some Björk stuff that is like too artsy and I can't get into it. And I'm like, I don't, I can't follow what you're trying to express to me anymore. But when it works, man, it's better to be pretentious, I think, and shoot for the big metaphor or whatever and sometimes fail than to not try. And yeah, when she nails it, she fucking nails it. So here's Bachelorette by Björk. As usual, that was longer than I expected it to be. I hope that was interesting to some degree. Good night, squirrels. Terrifying squirrels scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> Thank you for not attacking my face.
Test, test. Yo, it's a few days later and uh, I'm still crawling my way through this chapter. Man, it's crazy too. I haven't even gotten to the part where uh, she actually pulls up the footage of her planet blowing up and has to go through that whole reckoning. Like, I mean, I remember I did a podcast about that where I was, uh, it was like Christmas a couple of years ago at least. Where I was talking about this this picture of my brother and all the creepy feelings it brought up, and uh, this is it. This is the chapter finally. Like I had all the uh, these abstract ideas about how I was going to describe the feeling ages ago, and now I'm there. But I'm not there. I'm not even at that part yet. Like it's going to take me for fucking ever to get through this chapter. This one is like an epic one. This is all just the lead up to the main event that is gonna rack my brain. But again, whatever, I only got like five more chapters. At this point, no matter how slow I go, gonna get to the end relatively soon. There's no other option. I'm gonna run out of runway, you know? <laughs> just eventually this story's just gonna end. But today a thing happened that is, uh, it's kind of similar to that bit I just talked about. So I just uh, thought I'd bring it up as a little post-song thing. So I was talking about how inching my way through this story moment by moment, beat by beat, just like getting one little step further each day and just really taking my time to make sure the next little handhold is the one that feels right to me. A kind of neat thing happened today where I was writing about... Well, this idea that if Surratt was on her home planet when her brain was all fucked up, what she would do is go for a long-ass walk. But I realized that kind of uh, interferes with the adulthood ritual on their planet where they basically just uh, toss kids out in the badlands and it's like, good luck getting back. 
You have no supplies, no food, no nothing. There's dangerous animals and shit. If you make it back, you're a citizen. If you don't make it back, we'll think fondly of you. <laughs> so I was like, oh shit, that kind of, you can't just wander out into the wilderness. But I figured I would just uh, say basically there's two directions just to sort of really show. It actually kind of works because uh, I've had Quailum the jellyfish boy kind of uh, plant these seeds that sort of put forward this idea that maybe this adulthood ritual, even on her planet and among her species, maybe it's not as prevalent as she thinks it is. Maybe in the big cities they don't do this shit. Maybe it's because she's from the middle of fucking nowhere. And I didn't confirm that either way, but it's pretty clear. This guy's done a lot of research. He probably does literally know more about her planet than she does. So I thought this could tie into that. What if she's so far on the fringe? What if she's actually on the edge? So basically, if you walk this way, you walk out into the death lands that are completely uninhabited and are super dangerous. And if you walk the other way, it's still very barren and dangerous, but eventually you'll get to other, other towns, other little dollops of civilization. And that could kind of, without saying it directly, that could even kind of plant the idea that maybe nobody does this except her people. Maybe only her people that literally live on the edge of civilization. Maybe they're the only ones that are so fucking crazy that they just take their kids and fucking dump them. But I don't know about that either because this thing does have a name and Quailum has heard of it. So again, I'm not kind of making a hard decision either way. I'm just kind of planting both ideas. They're, they're in there for anybody who... See, I like the idea that probably most people will never think about it. But I just want to try to ensure that if somebody does think about it, and they decide they want to dig, that they can find evidence to support one theory or the other, or even just evidence that I thought about it, you know? <laughs> like, if somebody wants to confirm that this author cared and this author has the reader's best interest in mind. Like, I want to leave people feeling like they're in good hands, even if they're super hard-ass analytical fucking needle every little detail. I don't want to let those people down, even though they're in the minority and most people won't care about these things. I don't want to give them the answer. I just want to give them information to come to conclusions, you know, and to be able to drum up theories and to have evidence for them. <laughs> anyway, that's not even what I want to mention. That's just she brings up like she didn't walk toward the Badlands. She's not fucking suicidal. She's just having a hard time unraveling her brain. She'd walk the other way and eventually she'd come to another settlement, to another town, to another village, another whatever. And this is where it's like I can kind of clarify a bit about what her society was like because we've we never spent any time on her planet. The story starts with her waking up on the space station. And it's all pretty broad stroke stuff, but just the idea that if she came upon another settlement, she can't just roll in there. Nobody knows who she is, you know? She can't just walk in and go to the fucking local rhino coffee shop and fucking buy a scone and hang out or whatever the fuck, <laughs> you know? If she shows up, everyone's gonna be aware that someone who doesn't live there 
is in town and it's not like it's going to necessarily cause big problems it's not like they're going to like fight her or kick her out but it's just really uncomfortable because it's just crossing all these social boundaries probably based on their barbaric past where that would actually cause a fight and you would not allow an outsider to come into your town but since what i wanted to write about was these big bonfires they would have and the songs they would sing around the bonfires and like i was saying the weird shit about the echoing recursive songs that work around well whatever i don't need to describe it again the bonfires and these songs they would sing around the bonfires she could say that that was the easiest way to go into a new settlement if you got there at night and they were having a big bonfire party those are different social rules you can just kind of slide in and let yourself become a part of that and sing the songs that they're singing because you know the songs but they're always a little different like she would notice the farther away she got from home the more different the songs would become basically like an accent you know if you think about accents in england say you don't actually have to travel all that far for a very different accent you know everything just shifts as you go so the songs would be like that she would still know the song she could easily pick up on the differences and be a part of the group singing but it would be different and the farther away she went the more different it would be but this was the little thing that came up today that i'd never thought of before and never dealt with because this is an extremely sexless story there's no love no romance definitely no sex just that's not the purview of this you know the jellyfish people are way too fucking analytical and high-strung for that to be a visible part of their society. And Surat the Rhino Girl's got bigger fucking problems to think about, you know? Unless you're a really fucked up person, you probably don't get horny at a funeral, you know? You got your mind on other stuff. But just as I was writing, I just came up with this thing of, like, talking about that, of going into a bonfire that's part of someone else's community, but you just hang out there and sing and you just kind of integrate in that atmosphere and then eventually somebody invites you home and you go home with them and then the next morning you've only got your tippy toe into that society you know you've only integrated into the fabric of that town just the tiniest little bit but it's enough it's enough that hey you're here with so-and-so Oh, where'd you meet her? Oh, at the bonfire last night. And it's just like, oh, all right. And just all of that weirdness goes away. All of that social uncomfortableness goes away. It's like, oh, you know, you, you went through a process that everybody kind of understands as normal. And now you can just integrate yourself with the town. But at the same time, I added in a thing about she's sort of thinking back to these different times that happened to her, different towns she went to, different bonfire parties just trying to see if she could remember any of those people any of the people she went home with and she doesn't she doesn't remember them at all maybe if she really tried she could remember them but why why would you want to it's better at this point the less she remembers about her home planet the better you know just mentally it's easier but just that difference between all of her friends from her hometown she still remembers them crystal clear like it hasn't even been long enough that their features are getting blurry in her mind or anything they're all just she remembers every little detail about them but these people that she just met at a bonfire and went home with and presumably fucked <laughs> she doesn't remember at all and i just thought that was neat because 
nothing about sex has come up in this story, but this is just a nice little way, again, to just put that in there for anybody who's interested, anybody who wants some evidence of how things might have worked. That for the Therium, for these rhino people, sex means nothing. It's just meaningless. It's not something you would hesitate to do, and it's not something you think about after. It's just nothing. <laughs> it's just like shaking hands. Like, yeah, I met him at the fucking party, I went home and fucked him. Partially because it was fun and partially just so it would be less awkward when I was in town the next morning. You know, it's just, fuck it, why not? And I just thought that was so cool. Forget about fucking future potential readers or whatever. It was just cool for me. I'm like, this is fucking cool. I never thought about this before. I didn't know this yesterday. And now I just, I do. And it all seems to work. It all makes sense. And it just feels right. And I'm like, wow, I learned something today about the Therium, about the fucking rhino people in my story that I've been writing for four goddamn years. And that's just so cool. I love when that happens. Like, that's one of the great things about taking your time and going through slow and just sifting through all of this fucking stuff. It kind of made me think of, uh, I got in this like fucking argument with somebody on Reddit like a couple of years ago. I almost never use Reddit. I've really not had very good experiences with Reddit. <laughs> you know, I think despite the fact that the internet's been around for 20 years, people are so bad at modulating their, their fucking communication when it comes to text. You know, it's just, it's all, it's all 100 miles an hour or fucking zero. It's like just people aren't good at middle ground. Because I was on some writing Reddit and it was just that same fucking boring old debate of, uh, should you pre-plan your story or should you come up with stuff as you go? So I just thought because, you know, I feel like I've had some pretty decent thoughts about that and my, my particular stance of doing both I think is, is relatively unique. I don't hear a lot of people, I have heard other people say it, but not a ton. The idea that, you know, you have a, a loose structure and a lot of notes to refer to and the distinct ending, but you still come up with this stuff as you go, like I've been describing. And man, like, there, you know, sure, there was a couple of people that were like, hey, that's pretty cool. It's a neat way to think about it. Thanks. But then there were people that just, it's like I fucking told them that I dug up their grandmother and fucking anally raped her. It was insane how angry they got of just like, how fucking dare you tell people to pre-plan a story? You gotta fucking go with inspiration all the way through at every moment. And it's just like, all right, fuck off. <laughs> okay, I'm done again. See you later, Reddit, you fucking lunatics. But I think this is why. Like, I think this is why some people feel so strongly about, you know, they're afraid that having a pre-planned plan is going to hurt their creativity is for moments like this. Like, they don't want to lose this stuff. They don't want to lose these moments which is definitely understandable, because I agree, these, are, these moments are important. These are super important. I just think, I guess, that having a, an ending in mind is more important, <laughs> you know? So that's why I try to do both things. But yeah, trying to give these fucking battle axe crazy people the benefit of the doubt, I think that is why they get so upset when people tell them to fucking plan out their story, is because they... They love these moments so much. They love just coming up with these things on the spur of the moment and these like top of your mind inspired moments and like they don't want to lose that where I don't think that's a, an issue. I think you can do both things as I have been chronicling at extreme length <laughs> in this podcast. 
But it's also, isn't it weird too, like this idea that I find it exciting to find this out about my own characters and my own story. Like, and I guess people say that too, of like, I just let the character tell me what to do, or like the character's dialogue is the character's dialogue. I just chronicle what he says, but I can't really control it. And I think that's so interesting because it really is like, you know, I guess the, the catch-all term is just the muse, right? You shouldn't just wait for the muse because then you're dead in the water, but you got to work with the muse, you know, you got to... I haven't read it in ages, but that book, The War of Art, I remember I brought that up when I first started this podcast, I just read it. I should read it again, but that's one of his big points is you got to show up every day and you got to work every day and be there so that when the muse comes, you're ready to receive the golden honey drop of inspiration, you know? But it really is true. It's like there is just this stuff that happens that is just out of your hands. Like, even though you're all by yourself singularly writing this thing, and it is just you all by yourself doing this, but in this weird way, it's still like a communal endeavor because you're drawing upon just all this stuff that came before you. Like, just even the basic structure of a story is probably based on something else that you've already read or seen a million times. But that's not a bad thing. It's so other people can also get on board. I mean, a book is just fucking weird symbols on paper. It's insane that that even works. The only reason it does work is because there's, like, pre-existing structure in people's minds that's ready to accept this. And, like, in my case, it's like... Just so much of it is based on previous stuff. Like, okay, we got a space station with a giant domed concourse. Like, what does that look like? It's probably pretty easy to imagine. Just imagine fucking the Epcot Center in Disneyland with a roof on it. There you go, basically. You know, that'll do. It's close enough. A rhino person. For me, it's the Thradash from Star Control or Neff, the last boss in Altered Beast. They're both rhino people. I just think of them. Like, yeah, basically like that. Squid people, you know, you got Abe Sapien from Hellboy, you got fucking Squidward from Spongebob. That'll do. Whatever. A fish person, <laughs> you know? Put a little, like, space thing on them or whatever. Fuck it, you know? Like, all this stuff, everyone's going to imagine it differently, but it's close enough. It's all based on something else that's close enough. It's easy enough to understand. And yeah, just as far as the larger story and these greater themes and stuff, it really is just like, I don't literally believe in the mass subconscious, like we're all interconnected in the particles in the universe, we can make them resonate with our minds, da, da, da. but I don't think it has to literally be true. It's just true in the sense that our brains are all basically the same. Our processes, our mental functions, mostly are basically the same. We're kind of working on the same wavelengths. We've all absorbed the same data in our lives. We all live in the same environment, more or less. The reason why when you read a story, you're able to fucking even understand what's going on is because we're all just kind of speaking the same language and we're all drawing from the same places. And you're just not in control of your subconscious. You're just not. When you're writing a story, you know, you're in the driver's seat. You're the one deciding, do we take this fucking turn off or do we keep going down the highway? But you're not the vehicle. You're not the engine. You're not even the foot on the gas pedal. All that shit is just your existing biology, your existing subconscious, your existing mental processes and physical processes and the whole fucking weird 
bullshit of life. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that there's much point in me trying to explain this because, like, what, what I barely know what I'm fucking talking about. It's just a neat thing, I guess. It's just, it really is cool. I mean, it's another reason why I'm not in a big, huge hurry to get to the end. What happens when I get to the end, you know? Like, I'll immediately just move a different story to the forefront and make it the guaranteed-to-work-on-everyday story. But getting to the end isn't the end. I don't want the end to happen. I don't want the end to ever get here. I want to always be working on some story and always be experiencing this phenomenon, you know, of just like... I don't know, it's like you're a weird barometer or something, or you're just like a gathering fucking... You're like a weather balloon just gathering fucking information from the atmosphere. Except in this case, it's super abstract cultural and mental information that you're distilling down into a fucking story. But it's really not yours. Like, I, <laughs> it is and it isn't, you know? It's like the same thing as always. It's just a fucking weird contradiction. A lot of it is not from you directly. I guess let's just put let's just put it that way. Like a lot of it is out of your hands. It just comes to you. It just occurs. It just happens and you just have to be ready and aware. Your conscious the conscious part of your mind needs to be sharp and ready to see these unconscious things and decide what fits, what makes sense, what goes where. But the raw material just it's just you do not create it. You just don't. You got it or you don't. Actually, I just realized that shit about uh, going to a bonfire in a random town and just banging some random person. That could also tie into, like, if it's their kind of ancient physiology and basic instincts to be wary of outsiders and to not just openly accept outsiders, Maybe it could also be built into their ancient DNA or whatever, that despite that, maybe they're very open and accepting about having sex with strangers, you know, because it's just deep in their DNA. It's fucking understood that that's good. That's good for diversity of the species. So they could have this weird duality, this weird push and pull that as far as friends and community and local people you would want in your neighborhood. You want to know who all those people are. But as far as people you want to fucking... What's a good euphemism for rhinos having sex? I don't know. That you want to fuck. <laughs> Maybe they could just feel that deep down. Like, I like that idea that it's still, despite the fact that they're a space-faring race, they still just go by whatever little butterflies they feel in their stomach for a lot of stuff. And it's just like, if you see a stranger, you feel the bad butterflies. You're like, why is that stranger here? But if you have the opportunity to have sex with a stranger, you're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that actually feels way better to me than it does having sex with anybody that I know. Yeah, maybe they just... I wonder if I should get into this more in the story. Maybe I will. Maybe that's a reason to go on these weird treks, you know? Maybe it's not just, I'm having a hard time getting my head together, so I just go on a big long walk. Maybe there's also something in them that's like, hey man, it's just kind of understood that you just don't have sex with your friends back home. They're too close, everyone's too tight-knit, and just from a biological perspective, they're not different enough from you. 
Go on a little pilgrimage, go on a little hike, go on a little visit to someone else and uh, get some rhino dick, get some rhino puss. <laughs> I'll just add it to my notes, fuck it, we'll see it. Maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow I'll fucking uh, add that shit in. All right, so as usual, I hope that made some kind of sense. Uh, you know, that was a relatively long post-song bit. Let's just play another song, fuck it. That same Bjork album, Homogenic, there's this song. It's written J-O-G-A, but I don't know, is that pronounced yoga? I don't know how you pronounce J's in Icelandic. But anyway, beautiful fucking song. It's, uh, the chorus is uh, a little weird to me, but the verses are so good. So good. 10 out of 10 verses. Just the fucking... This cello shit going on in this song. Unbelievable. Fucking beautiful. So here's that. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Accidents that happen follow the dot. Coincidence makes sense only with you. You don't have to speak, I feel emotional. Landscapes, they pass away. The little gets out and you put. Push me up to this state of emergency. How beautiful to be state of emergency is where I want to be. Inside of me, every nerve that hurts, you heal deep inside of me. Ooh, you don't have to speak, I feel.